Hello and welcome to the Movie Change Up Podcast. As always, I am your host, Joe Friggy. If you couldn't tell by our preview, this is our James Bond month, where we're celebrating James Bond for the entire month of September, and at this point, a little bit into October as well, because we've got No Time to Die coming out on the first part of October. And uh, I'm joined, uh, as I have throughout this entire month, by Tristan Mayer, who kind of, neither of us, before we started doing this month, were really big Bond fans, I think. I had maybe seen one or two of the movies. He'd seen most of the Daniel Craig movies, and so we decided, hey, let's binge watch all of the Daniel Craig movies before we talk about it. Now, our other two main guests, or like usual guests, uh, Johnny and Bobby, they had some stuff going on this week, so they haven't been able to join us. Uh, Tristan, uh, you know, we're doing our top 10. I don't think I said that. That is what this episode is. We're counting down our top 10 James Bond movies. Uh, what are your kind of overall thoughts? I know we've talked about Bond uh, quite a bit this month, but what is your thoughts specifically as far as the top 10 goes? Yeah, it was pretty surprising. I mean, I talked a lot about how surprised I am by Bond generally this month, and I had no experience, like you said, to coming into it. Uh, you have these ideas of what are the popular ones and what are the ones people are going to talk about and the ones that people are going to like. So some of those are in my top 10, you know, some of the staples that I've heard about through the years, but I also have a couple surprises that I didn't hear anything about or some that I even heard were bad that ended up being in my top 10. <laughs> so it'll be fun to talk about this list, especially with two people who are like kind of outsiders looking in on Bond and don't have like the nostalgia necessarily for all the iconography and that kind of stuff. Yeah, for sure. And if you're watching, you know, live and you're watching or you're watching on YouTube later on, or if you're basically seeing us in video format, you might notice Tristan's camera going out uh, throughout the podcast. He's having camera problems. However, hopefully his mic uh, works throughout the entire time. And this is mostly a show you don't really need the visual component, but it's just a nice little added bonus. So, without further ado, Tristan, do you want to kick us off with our top 10? Let's kick us off with the top 10. I mentioned uh, right as we were going that I have a couple on here that might be surprising for people who are Bond fans and have some uh, built-in ideas of what uh, they like and don't like about the franchise. Because my number 10 here is Moonraker. <laughs> I think it's kind of an embodiment of a lot of the really cheesy uh, Bond, Roger Moore style movies. And I really liked Roger Moore. I think he's, he surprised me of all the Bonds that I, I heard so much about people not liking his movies. So I went into this movie in particular, but a lot of his movies with kind of like a uh, lower expectations than I might have otherwise. So I think that helped a bit. But yeah, this was definitely like, if you want to just like, you know, we do drink alongs occasionally on this show. And I think that would be a fun one to drink along to because it's just like very ridiculous and it gives you all kinds of fun fan service, like bringing back an old henchman that people love from a, a previous movie. And uh, Roger Moore is at like peak ridiculous in this one. So I think it's a one to throw at the bottom 10 here to kind of tribute that era of Bond and one that I liked a lot, but yeah, not one that's going to climb to the top of the list for me. Yeah, Moonraker, not on my list. Obviously, as I watched through all of these bonds, I ranked all of them, and Moonraker ended up in my 14 spot. So, obviously not in my top 10. But yeah, there were some really fun moments. There were, I think part of why it wouldn't have cracked my top 10 is I feel like, especially the plot, it just doesn't exactly hold up anymore with the whole space aspect and everything. It was just too cheesy, but without being like that fun campiness level, the villain wasn't exactly campy. Uh, but Jaws coming back and his little turn was nice. Uh, and I and I like that aspect of it. But I think, yeah, it just wasn't quite like the campy funness that I would have wanted for the cheesiness level that it had to put it in the top ten like some of these other movies. I definitely have some other cheesy ones in there. And uh, it'll be fun to see what your ten is. 
Alright, and uh, so that brings us to my 10, I think. And that's a movie that I know is higher on your list. And uh, because I know where it is on your list. And so uh, that movie is Goldfinger. Oh, yeah, definitely higher on my list, but I'm curious on why you have it uh, as low as you do. Yeah, it was directed by Guy Hamilton. came out, obviously, 1964. I believe it was the third of the Sean Connery uh, Bonds. And basically, uh, you had a villain that, minor spoiler alert for a movie that came out over 50 years ago, but essentially, Oric Goldfinger, his plot was he wanted to destabilize the U.S. economy by stealing all the gold in Fort Knox. And I feel part of why it's so low is it started off high on my list, but a lot of Bond fans consider it kind of the origin for a lot of the plot structure of the Bond movies that followed with the -the over-the-top villain and with the Bond girls coming in. It was kind of that, and with the, you know, Bond song and everything, it's kind of the original of the format, and I just feel like other movies eventually came in and did it better. And so that's why it comes in at the 10th spot. But it's a really fun movie, especially if you're, you know, if you're wanting to check out Bond, I almost say Casino Royale is, I think, where Tristan and I both start. I know, I know it's where I started, and it's kind of like a Bond origin story. Yeah, I started there as well. But I'd also say Goldfinger is another one to kind of start off with because it's kind of the origin of the story structure of Bond. Yeah, I definitely agree. We'll talk more about Goldfinger later, but I want to reiterate that if you are new to Bond, especially new to the classic Bonds, or maybe you've seen Daniel Craig or one or two of those, you're not sure where to start. I think this is a perfect place. It has all of the notes and the hallmarks you like from a Bond movie, but it doesn't uh, go over the top. It's not so ridiculous that you're like completely taken out of it. You're still invested, so it's a perfect balance for me, a yeah. starting point. Yeah, definitely. Uh, all right, and uh, so what is your number nine? Speaking of starting points, my number nine is is the starting point. Uh, I had the movie that started it all on here, Dr. No. I think, uh, like you said, this is one that kind of is testimony to being the originator, the one that kind of started things and kicked in a lot of the, like the Bond girl and a lot of the iconic shots and lines and things like that are here. And I give it credit for that. And I think it still does stand up and is entertaining by itself, but I think it isn't necessarily the greatest so i have it in this in the 10 spot here because i think all of these are solid you know but i think that this for i'll give a props for establishing the formula and for having some really uh memorable lines and characters and i think dr no as a villain is one that has stood throughout the franchise as kind of a a fan favorite one that people want to see again despite only coming in this movie way way back in you know the first movie so i i like it for that and you really get to see sean connery like building the character a bit here. So you're seeing him kind of like come into uh, the beginnings of the character. He's not necessarily like peak bond right now, but he's, he's, you see him testing the waters and figuring out what the character is going to be. And I think it's fascinating for me to watch the beginnings of franchise, like the beginnings of characters. You'll go back and watch like the first Friday the 13th. And you're like, this is nothing like what I know Friday the 13th to be, but it kind of grows into that. And I think I like Dr. No, because of that, it feels like you're watching like the, the, the seeds being planted for what bond will grow into. And it's very surprising how, already flourishing those plants are but just from the first movie you're getting good lines getting a good villain you're getting some nice suave bond moments so it's not completely amateur so i think it's definitely worth seeing and it's a good uh one to watch but i definitely wouldn't say it was a starting point like i started there with this binge but i don't necessarily think it would be a good starting point if you're new to the franchise because it's just older hasn't necessarily aged well and the format's been done in a more contemporary accessible way 
and a couple other movies we're going to talk about in a bit. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, this is one of the ones, I think this was the second one I watched. I watched it immediately after Casino Royale. And uh, I ranked it 21 out of 24, and it's, I think it's the main one I want to go back and watch because I watched it so early, it's hard to, when I was comparing it to the others when I was doing my ranking, I want to see where it changed. However, outside of uh, uh, Jeffrey Wright, in the Daniel Craig movies, it's my favorite portrayal of Felix Leiter. I feel like they really don't make the character as cool or as interesting as that character could be. And I, I did like the portrayal by uh, Jack Lord, who people might know from the original Hawaii Five O, as Felix Leiter, who's supposed to kind of be like the American version of James Bond. And I really don't feel like the other mo- the movies have really fully captured that. And I feel like Jack Lord is was one of the better versions of that, and that's kind of the high point for me of that movie. And I did like Dr. No as a villain, and I thought Sean Connery was maybe not the best actor. That was my main problem, I think, with the movie, is it had a lot of that older-style acting where no one is is really reacting to each other. They're all just kind of saying the lines. And that's that's why the movie is so low on my list, is I could never get into the story because the acting is just so wooden and so stiff, and no one's... Like, they might as well have not been acting in the same room. Yeah, I'm going to have a bit more of the classic older ones in here than I think you do because I attach a bit more to that like old Hollywood kind of acting in the way like I like this franchise in the way that it the old school of Hollywood like this old noir kind of performances from these actors and actresses kind of blends in with like new age filmmaking. I think it's really interesting in these first couple of movies. But yeah, I definitely think if you're not into that style of acting and that like really dated style of acting that is certainly not contemporary, it could be hard to watch some of this stuff. All right, so I think that brings us to my number nine. In my number nine, you did the first Sean Connery one, and my number nine is the last Sean Connery with uh, You Only Live Twice from 1967, directed by Lewis Gilbert. And uh, basically, it's the villain tries to pit the world superpowers against each other, uh, you know, by uh, capturing space capsules, and uh, James Bond is sent to. Uh, Japan to kind of investigate what is going on and there there are some moments that are definitely a little problematic by today's standard like you must become Japanese which not not great uh, I understand what they were going for but this is one like uh, what I was talking with uh, Goldfinger where there was like the cheesiness without the fun campiness this had both this had the cheesy but it was also like fun and campy and you had like these goofy characters that I think fit more of the tone and which, which is why it's higher on my list and I just uh, it's a really fun movie it's probably what I look for in a movie is not so much like a quality of the film like I could look at Godfather Part 2 and be like this is a very well made movie but it, and, I, and I watch it every couple of years but it's just not like this heavy rewatchable fun movie where you can just sit back have a couple beers you know you only live twice as more my speed of movie of what I go for yeah, this barely did make the cut for me. I had it at number 12 on here on the list. But, uh, yeah, you, you mentioned it's just the perfect fun. And I think Bond, especially in these first few, like the Sean Connery era of Bond in particular, is very, like, all over the place in its tone where they're still trying to figure out, like, oh, is this a spy franchise? Is this a comedy franchise? Is this, like, an action franchise? What are we doing? And this one, I think, really kind of strikes the balance of being goofy, ridiculous, and also having good action and also having some stakes that you at least kind of kind of by, you know, and characters that you can root for. It's like a really solid one that 
barely to make the cut, but I definitely think it's one of the good bonds. Yeah, and I will also say a lot of people hate on the henchmen in this movie. The henchmen were amazing. They were like straight up out of a Coen Brothers movie. If they were, if the Coen Brothers were actually directing, I, I think one of them retired, and I can't remember which one. But they definitely seem something like straight out of uh, uh, No Country for Old Men or something like that, or uh, uh, or. Uh, uh, my mind is just uh, blanking here. Yeah. Well, uh, the Big Lebowski. The know? Big Lebowski. I would say they're very much something out of like the Big Lebowski. <laughs> yeah, I think they're. I think that's a good zany fit for those characters. Uh, one of the Coens still directing. They have a movie coming out this year uh, from from A twenty four, I think. But yeah, it'd yeah, be, the, uh, it'd be a wild whatever. pick for for a uh, wild pick for a Bond director. But we might see it come up in, in the next couple a couple of weeks here. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Right. That brings me to what we're at number eight now. So we're going with our I another Roger Moore movie on the list. You're gonna see a couple of those on my list. I was I was a big Roger Moore a sucker for the Roger Moore I guess because this one is The Spy Who Loved Me from 1977, directed by Lewis Gilbert. I think uh, you're really seeing Roger Moore. Of course, was known for the camp and the ridiculousness and being really over the top. And I think that this one definitely is big and has a ridiculous plot of these submarines and these nuclear missiles and it all feels very high stakes and kind kind of like larger than life in that way but i do think the action works really well in here i think it's probably some of his best action and roger moore action is kind of up and down throughout his run i i like his run a lot but i think as he got later on in the, in the career got, like he was using obvious stunt doubles and it was just like not viable <laughs> and i think that this one looked really good and some of the, some of the action scenes in here are just really uh great and compelling action with a good mix of like you said the camp that we love from bond and introduced jaws who is one of the iconic characters of bond uh one of one of the iconic henchmen for sure so I think for it's for me it's one of my favorites. Not my favorite Roger Moore. I don't know, we'll have a, I think one more on my list from Roger Moore, but definitely uh, in my favorites of Bond. Yeah, it was one for me that I remember watching it. In it was it was one of those ones where as I was watching it, it was just hard to not just keep like looking at my phone or doing other things because for whatever reason, I just could not get into it as much as I tried. Like I, there were so many moments where I'd be like, Oh, I missed something. And I would go back and rewind and like watch the scene over. And that just happened so many times in this movie. And for whatever reason, I just, I just couldn't get into it. And that's why on my list, it's all the way down in the 18 spot. But it's one of those I ones where such different lists. I, it's one of those ones where I can understand why someone liked it, but it just maybe if I was in a different state of mind when I tried to watch it, I'd be more into it. But the time I did watch it, I just for whatever reason couldn't get into it. I did, yeah. I did like the thing at the beginning with the fake out of the triple X, where you thought triple X was going to be this guy that they. I'm I'm ninety nine percent sure that was just like Roger Moore stunt double because the first three seconds of that scene, I thought that was Roger Moore. Uh, and then I realized he's like 15 years younger. And then you find out Triple X is the uh, girl, the Russian spy. But yeah, that was the best moment of the movie for me. It's like the three seconds I thought that was Roger Moore. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I love Roger Moore. So this, I, I, I think this is his best attempt at doing like an actual Bond movie <laughs> yeah. instead of like a camp movie. What do you All got right. first, Joe? All right, my. Uh... My uh, number, what number am I on? Number eight 
is uh, License to Kill, directed by John Glenn, who did a lot of work for... Uh, he was like a second unit director, I think, or editor or something for some of the previous Bond movies, and he finally got a chance to direct one. And basically, this was kind of a take on a lot of the 80s action movies of the time. This was a year after Die Hard. And you actually have uh, one half of Johnson & Johnson, the FBI uh, agents from Die Hard, is in this movie as the main villain, and the other half of Johnson and Johnson, I believe, is a DEA agent in this movie. So, uh, but yeah, basically, Felix is killed, and uh, 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 James Bond goes rogue, trying to figure out who killed Felix, and he gets his license to kill revoked. And it's just kind of a fun adventure action movie, and Timothy Dalton kind of cemented Timothy Dalton as one of my favorite Bonds. It's really fun, really fun movie, and it's one you might see uh, our uh, take on because I believe in a couple weeks' time, Tristan and I will be pitching our reboots for this movie. Yeah, I'm really excited to hear you re- your reboot of that, knowing you have it so high, and I have it uh, honestly a little bit higher than you because this one is my number uh, six on the list. So I'll just talk about it now really quickly. We can just, uh, yeah, I, I think Timothy Dalton had a huge shoes to fill coming into this role, and. Uh, this is him just at the peak of it. I think he only got a couple outings to try, and I think he pulled off that kind of darker take on Bond really well. You know, we give Daniel Craig credit now for being like the dark Bond, the Bond who goes off the grid and kind of shows like the real side of Bond. And when I hear that, I just think like Timothy Dalton did that first in License to Kill. (laughs) And I think this is a great movie. Uh, Yeah, you mentioned Bond going rogue and kind of losing his License to Kill and having to do this off the off the kind of off the grid essentially and that's something you see in like every mission impossible movie now it's like oh ethan hunt's going off the grid what's he gonna do and like it felt like something in this because bond even when he disagreed with his orders even when he like thought he was uh being told to do something he shouldn't do even when his emotions kind of got in the way ultimately he came back onto the side of doing what he had to do and doing his job and sometimes certain the rules here and there of course because there's bond but ultimately he knew like what his job to do was and he followed those rules and to see him completely kind of unhinged and not having to follow those rules anymore really worked well with Timothy Dalton's character. And I think I mentioned uh, uh, the villain Sanchez on our top list are Mountain Rushmore villains because I think he's a really cool foil to Bond and Timothy Dalton has that darkness like unleashed. You know, you're, you're taking Bond, this character who's had this, darkness inside him throughout the franchise now you're saying like okay let the let the dog out for this movie (laughs) and i think it works great i one that i definitely will be going back to is uh, a rewatch i think yeah it's definitely one i'll rewatch it was uh basically any of these i'd be i'm down to rewatch for sure but license to kill was one of the more fun of the action movies in my style of action movies that i go for kind of the late 80s early 90s action movies so and you still get a lot of the Bond check marks. Like you have a really uh, cool villain with like a cheesy base, you know, yeah. <laughs> but it's still within this more gritty kind of take on the character. Yeah, and this was one of my Felixes. He's it's the same Felix in I believe License to Kill and Living Daylights, which we will talk about soon. Um, and he wasn't the best, but I think the story around it in the opening in this movie that. Um, Christopher Nolan borrowed for the, or like, was inspired for for the Dark Knight Rises of the, like, plane takeover 
Uh, so, yeah, if you're a fan of Dark Knight Rises, I would say check out this movie. Not very similar, but the opening scenes are. And so I think that takes us to your seven. Strange, yeah. I don't think we've had we've had one commonality so far, maybe two. <laughs> yeah, I think this was our first one. Um, well, we have one that uh, Goldfinger was on your list, but we haven't quite gotten to that one on mine yet. We will in, in a little while. But yeah, that brings me to my number number uh, seven, and it is we we mentioned the first bond, we mentioned the third bond, so now let's go with the second bond from Russian with Love. I think this is a really really strong uh, spy thriller from Bond. I mentioned that at the beginning of Sean Connery's era, I really felt like they were experimenting with their genres and saying, oh, let's make it kind of goofy here. Let's make it a really serious one here. And this is them taking it more or less very seriously. Like there's some goofiness in Spectre and the kind of hamminess to the villains, but it's a much more serious movie than the previous one and a much, much more serious movie than the one after it and a lot of the ones after it. So if I honestly think if you're a fan of like the Craig movies and you like the kind of gritty take on it, that's much more like a grounded story and about the spy craft and about like figuring out the mysteries are going along and not so much about the goofiness this might be a better a good place to start if you want to get that kind of grounded entry point to bond but you have a really iconic henchman in red you have the battle at the end on the train which i think is just really iconic it gets attributed in a future movie i think uh, that we're going to talk about in, the, in a second but i think this kind of set the template like how i mentioned that uh, Goldfinger set the template for like the Bond formula and the big villains and the bases. I think this kind of set the template for what a Bond thriller can be. And once in a while, we do get these Bond spy thrillers thrown into the uh, franchise, and this kind of set that up. And I think is one of the best ones. So yeah, for me, that's pretty high up on my list. I don't imagine it being that high on yours, but I'm curious on your thoughts, Joe. Uh, no, this one only ended up being in the 18, or no, sorry, 17 spot on mine, because just a lot of those early Craig ones with the, like, not-so-great acting, I wasn't a fan of. But I did like the character of Red, played by Robert Shaw, who's probably most famous for the movie Jaws. Um, but I like the idea, because his henchman character was a character, like, designed and trained to be able to take on James Bond, which I thought was kind of really cool and really interesting and not something I expected from like the second James Bond movie. If that, if someone told me, Oh, there's a eventually going to be a henchman who's, you know, the idea behind the henchman is he was trained to fight James Bond. I would have thought, Oh, that would have been, um, like 19, you know, you know, late eighties, like Roger Moore kind of villain. Yeah. And I think turning it down and slowing it down a bit is something that you wouldn't expect from the second movie. Like out of that first movie, you'd think they'd be like, okay, let's up the ante. Let's give them bigger action. Let's give them bigger. And they, in a way they do like the action is higher and more craft to it. The, it's, it's obviously a bigger production, but it's not like a huge scope thing. There's not massive battles. Like you would think they might go too big, too quick. And I think this was a necessary movie to kind of break you up before you get to Goldfinger where it's truly getting big and truly getting ridiculous. All right. Yeah, definitely. All right, so we're moving through quick, Joe. Where are we at now? Seven. Yeah, we're go- we are going through it quick, but we have plans for- to record something after this, so uh, and we'll talk about that at the end. But we talked about the second Timothy Dalton movie, and now it's time to talk about his first one, The Living Daylights. Uh, we're basically you're dealing a lot with a, you know 1987, dealing a lot with the KGB, and. Uh, we have one of the greatest scenes in all of Bond, and that's Bond sledding down a mountain in a cello case using the cello to steer, and that is amazing. It, this, again, is one of the more 
er, early like realistic gritty takes with uh, Bond after the more the Roger Moore ones kind of got goofy and weird. They decided to dial it back a little bit, but there were some of that fun campy moments like sledding down the uh, sledding down the mountain with the cello, and that's that's why I love the movie. It's you know. Look, he slides down a mountain with a cello. How could it be bad, you know? And like you said, it, it kind of has the elements of the ridiculousness still left over while still having the grit and the the what becomes like the the, the license to kill kind of tone where it's much it's kind of the hybrid of the dark and the and the camp. And for me, the it, the tonal clash didn't necessarily work on this one. I I think they they have the idea of where they want to take the character here, but they don't necessarily go in that direction they don't necessarily hold back and give them the fun either so it just feels kind of confused on what it wants to be and it's still a good one i still put it like in the in the tier of good bond movies but for me like license to kill is doing the idea of this one so much better and they really found the character in that movie and this one for me is good but i kind of make it made like an executive choice to move it down off the list because i wanted to get uh a room for another one on there, but yeah, uh, this was this was a good one for me. I think it's it's a, it's a solid debut for him, but I think he's just done so much better in License to Kill that whenever I think about watching this one again, I'm just like, man, maybe I can just watch License to Kill instead. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I understand that. It's just for me, I prefer uh, Living Daylights to License to Kill, so that's why it's just yeah. They still retire. There's still great moments in this. Definitely not a bad one. I think Timothy Dalton's really underrated as Bond. He had these two movies, but I think both of them are some of the some of the definitely good ones, if not the great ones of Bond. And I think people think like, oh, Connery versus Moore versus Craig versus Bryson. And sometimes I think Timothy Dalton gets forgotten among the, the pack people who made way more movies than he has. Now that we covered both of his movies, I kind of just wanted to talk about his portrayal in general. I think it's a bit underrated. Yeah, that's true. I wish he would have gotten more chances at Bond, but I really like Pierce Brosnan, who came in after him, so it's hard to be like, oh, I, w- I wouldn't have wanted less Pierce Brosnan, especially the earlier Pierce Brosnan movies, so it's kind of hard to take away one without the other. Yeah, I think it's true. I think he has this little burst of uh, being being in the, in the role and is able to leave on top where I think almost all the other people who've had the character I get by the end, you can tell like they're not really into it and they're kind of like losing interest and he gets two bangers out the gate, then kind of gets to retire on the top, you know? So that's a good move for him. Yeah, for sure. All right. Uh, sorry, my phone's acting weird. Um, uh, I already gave my number six, which was, uh, we mentioned license to kill. Uh, so we got uh, your six license to kill. My six was License to Kill. We mentioned it earlier. I, I mentioned it offhand as being on my list, but I forgot to mention it up front. Yeah, License to Kill is my number six. We talked about it already, but yeah, great grit to the character, and I love Timothy Dalton's take, and this is the peak of the take for me. All right, yeah, so uh, speaking of killing and movies directed by John Glenn, <laughs> uh, at my number six is A View to a Kill, Roger the Roger Moore classic. Uh I believe it's Roger Moore's last outing as Bond, and it's just a fun, campy, wild ride for 131 minutes. Came out in 1985, and uh, you get some weird, weird villains. Christopher Walken as Max Zorin, 
Uh, you get Tanya Roberts, who people might know from that '70s show, it's, uh, as Stacy Sutton as one of the main bond, as the main Bond girl. You also have Grace Jones as Mayday. Uh, the movie's crazy. The movie's weird. The movie's wild, and every second of it is great. Yeah, people talk about Bond being cheesy and ridiculous, and especially uh, Roger Moore being cheesy and ridiculous. And people often cite Moonraker as like, "Oh, here's the one where it was." The most ridiculous, and I don't think it's the most ridiculous there. I think a video kill is is great, and uh, maybe I might as well say it now. I have a one step above you at number five. Uh, call us the right. weirdos in the group, but you know this is one of the ones I I teased up front that I had a couple of ones that were really disliked among the fans of Bond and had generally low ratings, and that I just was really uh, happy with and. Joe and I mentioned in our previous episode about Rushmore that we were fans of this movie, particularly its opening. <laughs> so I'm glad to see the whole movie made your list here, Joe, because it made mine one rank above yours. I think it a whole lot of fun. Yeah, uh, Roger Moore is way too old for the role, but I honestly feel like at this point, like this movie is sort of leading into that in its own way. Like, this feels self-aware from the front, like with the Beach Boy song playing over this, like, yeah, ski that was chase. An amazing it feels moment. like they... They're just going for the fun and the cheese. And we've seen them try and do that in other movies where they're like, okay, we're going to go all out and make it super goofy. And then we get like some of the weaker uh, entries in the whole franchise. And I think this managed to go all out bonkers, ridiculous, and still be just fun. And I had a great time with this one. And I'm not looking through nostalgia goggles. I've never seen it before. I don't have any like built up nostalgia for Roger Moore. But this, this one really, really hit for me. It's one that I... Certainly, I've already rewatched it <laughs> since watching it, so I think this will be one that I'll rewatch a couple of times. It's just pure fun. If you want to like like drink and watch a Bond movie where everything ridiculous happens, and it's it's a perfect movie for that. And and great theme, one of the best Bond themes I think. Really fun, kind of unique. It doesn't sound like any of the, any of the other Bond theme songs, but it fits with the movie really well. Yeah, that's true as well. It was just. Uh... It was just one of those ones that I don't know why if you're a Bond fan and you grew up with it and you like the seriousness and all of that, you probably hate it and think the movie sucks. But I have no, like you said, I have no nostalgia. I don't care about the franchise like it's a thing I grew up with. I care about the franchise now because I watched the movies and I've seen the movies and I liked most of them. Um, and A View to a Kill is one of the ones I liked more than most of the others. Yeah, I was shocked to see it not just high on your list, but high on my list. And it's, it's, yeah, definitely one that I went into with preconceived notions of it being bad. So I think that helped. But I don't even know if you had that for yourself. Like I'd heard about this movie being one of the bad ones. So I had that idea going into it. So that I think helped me like it more than it might have if I was expecting it to be great or something. But yeah, I like this one a lot. Uh, I'd love to have a like a diehard Lifetime Bond fan come on here and tell me why it's bad. But <laughs> But like... For me, going into Roger Moore and not having any of that built-up idea of what Bond is in my nostalgic brain and being able to be like, okay, this is the kind of goofier, like, overly romantic Bond, and this is kind of the darker Bond. And I was able to take each of the actors for who they are, so I think that also helped. But, yeah, curious that we both had this so high in our list as the new people. Yeah, this was not one that I really knew anything about. Like, I didn't really know anything about any of the Bond movies, and the only reason that I knew people might not like it is because it was ranked so low on uh, our podcast host uh, Johnny's list because he, you know, is a massive Bond fan, and I know he had it ranked more towards the bottom. And that was the only thing, 
like thing going into it where I thought people might not like it, but I also tried to avoid like memorizing his list. It was more like I'd watch a movie and I'd rank it and then I'd see where it ranked on his list. And then when I had like three or four left, I kind of realized the three or four I had left were like the bottom three on his list. And that's when I started <laughs> to get a little nervous, but, uh, I watched it and I'm like, this is great. This is fun. You know, he, when he snowboarded down the mountain as the beach boys cover song played, I knew that this movie would be amazing. And it was. <laughs> yeah, it was. And I mean, Christopher Walken can be such a ridiculous character and he really leads into that here. And he, you can tell, I love seeing movies like this where the actors, you can tell are just having a really fun time with it. And Roger Moore is just having a blast do it, goofing around in this role. And of course there's things he didn't like, he didn't get along necessarily with his co-star and there's moments here and there that he didn't like, but you've heard, I've heard great stories about him on set of the movie and, general uh being a great guy and having a lot of fun with the role so you can tell christopher walken is also having really fun and just handling it up and i just have i have, I have a good time watching movies where everyone involved in the movie is like on the same level of what the movie is like everyone knew that this is a goofy one <laughs> and we're gonna have fun making it goofy yeah and there's no like embarrassing person who's trying too hard or no one who's like this is way above anybody else this isn't Bumblebee where everyone's making like a serious, well, as serious as a Transformers movie can be, but a movie where everyone's like taking it seriously and trying to do a good job. And John Cena still thinks he's in a Michael Bay Transformers movie because that that's that's my go to now for any. I mean, I saw that movie for like two years ago, uh, but that's always my go to for like any time someone doesn't realize what movie they're in or they're in a different movie than somebody else's. John Cena and Bumblebee. It's a good example. Or John Cleese in, uh, uh, no, whatever the second to last Pierce Brosnan one was. Ah, uh, yes, that one. That's another one where John Cleese does not is not in the same movie <laughs> as everybody else. We're getting to our top five, Joe, and I kind of have a feeling we're going to have a good amount of crossover on this. Like, I know, I I can tell one that you have sitting out there that I can imagine is probably your number one, knowing your taste, knowing what you like. And there's one that I that I've punted up there that uh, we haven't talked about yet. Yeah, that's on my list. I think th- our top t- our top ten at the end isn't really going to be so much a combination of your list. It's going to be fighting for that one spot, and then it's just going to go ping ponging back and forth of just like, okay, we'll do your two, then my two, then your three, then my three. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm curious because I think we're going to have a couple crossovers here, but uh, I'm thinking I might have one that you don't have in here, so we'll yeah. see. Yeah. All right. So uh, we've done your five, which is a view to a kill. Or ah, oh, crap! I messed this. Oh wait, no, we did this right. We did your five. So my, which, your five was a yeah. My five kill. was video kill. All right. So we did this right. Because I, I, I'm writing our writing them down as we go, and I pre-wrote down all of mine. So really, I'm just writing down yours. And we've done. We have not done my five, right? Nope. All right. So my five is another so I was wrong when I said uh, You Only Live Twice is Sean Connery's Final Bond because that title is held by Diamonds Are Forever my god too are you putting that at 5? Diamonds Are Forever as my number 5 and this is the one I I got those two movies mixed up I put them on my list before I'm Diamonds Are Forever is is great. And this is the one with the two henchmen that should be straight out of uh, 
straight out. I was of, sick. I was uh, like, I'm getting confused with these movies. It must be crossing my streams here of my Conneries. Yeah, I I got them confused a little bit. Um, I think. I don't know. It's been, when you watch all of these movies back to back to back over the course of like two and a half weeks, and they, most of them have the same actors through, and then they kind of all blend together. (laughs) Um, But anyways, yeah, Diamonds Are Forever. Um, Basically, there's a, basically the Death Star in the sky, and it's made out of diamonds, and they're using it to blow up parts of Earth, and Sean Connery's gotta go stop him. And the movie's fun. The movie's cheesy. It's maybe the campiest movie I've ever seen in my life. And it was fun, entertaining. It takes place in Vegas. And James Bond deserves to take place in Vegas. And, uh... Look, uh, uh, campy is a way to describe it. I, I don't know if I would, I would... I would say this is one of the ones that goes a little bit maybe too far into the camp direction for me. You can never uh, go too bit... far in the camp direction unless Look, that movie is called Batman 66. Coming from me, it's hard to say something is too campy, but, like, this is one of those ones where I'm not quite sure who knew what they were doing, and uh, Sean Connery seems like he doesn't care about anything that's happening in the movie. He's, he's more invested than he was in a couple of the other ones, but I think by this point, I was really... Sean Connery just felt uncomfortable in the role, and he, I don't think he necessarily felt like he wanted to be doing it. And Of course, who wouldn't want to be James Bond? Sean Connery was made for this movie. It, I suffered through Dr. No and Goldfinger <laughs> and all of the, those other craptastic movies for the greatness that is Diamonds Are Forever. I mean, it's it's definitely campy. It feels like if Sean Connery made a Roger Moore movie, you know, and it's that... It's that well, good on him. Perfect perfect collage of ridiculousness but i think it goes too much into the ridiculousness and i think the fact that he's so old and it makes it a little harder to watch because where roger moore was kind of goofy and i feel like in a way leaned into the age differences and kind of made it kind of a joke i don't know if i feel like sean connery really thought he was still looking good in this one man i feel it was almost embarrassing at first (laughs) women love a dad bod you know i'm all on tinder i'm all up on tinder and girls are always like oh i love dad bods Sean Connery was out here rocking the dad bod before we even knew what a dad bod was. Yeah, he got, he got an all-natural dad bod on there, you know. Exactly. He's a former Mr. Universe that's like, you know what? It's okay to have a little flab. Look, I mean, it might be one that I got to rewatch someday. Maybe I'll appreciate it more as as I've learned to you don't appreciate to the more ridiculous bonds. But look, Joe. I'm just trying to give your your favorite Bond movie another chance because it's definitely not that high for me. For me, it's 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 at, at a nineteen out of out of twenty four. So not like the bottom bottom, but pretty low down there. <laughs> All right. Um. So we've done your five. So I believe it is now your four. My number four is one that uh, is really acclaimed. Uh, one that I caught bits and pieces of randomly on FX here and there throughout my childhood and never quite sat down and watched. But I had, in fact, played the N64 game quite a lot. Uh, I'd killed many of my friends and been killed by many of my friends playing Goldeneye. So I'm going my... to stop you right there and just say that is also my number four. So Look at that. We landed right on each other there. Uh, I thought we had a crossover on this one. <laughs> right on top of you, Joe. Uh, we got Goldeneye, directed by Martin Campbell who is going to return to the list, I have to imagine, in a second or two. But 
Yeah, Pierce Brosnan. I always think the debuts of Bonds are fascinating to watch because they have all of this built-up baggage, and they have to debut the character. And there's a lot of pressure of like, okay, how do you perform? How do you, how do you open this movie? How do you establish this version of Bond, this era of Bond? And right from that jump at the beginning, they kind of established the Pierce Brosnan rule of cool of Bond. You know, it doesn't have to make sense. It just has to look cool when he does it. And I think Pierce Brosnan nails that in a lot of his movies. And even some of his weaker ones, he still kind of like looks like a badass in the suit and he still pulls off some of the goofier stuff. I think Pierce Brosnan has this like sculpted Greek god look to him that really, uh, I think, does well for this character that I think feels like that, like almost like a too perfect to be real looking guy. <laughs> uh, but this is definitely his best movie. Uh, really great action, which also leads to the fact that his era is going to be very action oriented. Yeah, but- Great action here. Not just the opening sequence, but overall. But yeah, the opening sequence particularly stands to the time, but I think overall it's a good one. Yeah, one of the things I did like about this movie is it was the first time we saw a former double O agent become the villain, which is something we'll probably talk about again later in a mm-hmm. different movie. Uh, but I really like that aspect. The only thing that would have made this movie better is if Pierce Brosnan had a movie before this where we saw him and Trevelyan work together. That was my only like main flaw is that we never got to see them be friends. Then when they were fighting each other, it you know, you felt that impact more, but I thought Sean Bean would have been like a great, like James Bond and a different, you know, if like Pierce Brosnan wasn't their guy, like he didn't exist. And they were like, we cast Sean Bean. Like I think Sean Bean at this time period would have been a really fun and interesting James Bond. So I think having him as 006 is Alex. Uh, well, the former 006, Alex Trevelyan, was great, and uh, I think he was a really cool, fun villain, especially compared to um, Pierce Brosnan, and I think your villains kind of have to match your tone of your movie and what you're going for, and I think Trevelyan was perfect as the villain in GoldenEye. Yeah, and I mentioned really liking Sanchez as kind of this dark foil to Bond, and that's, I mean, he's literally, he's a double agent. He's like what Bond could be if he went bad, you know, and it's very on the nose in that way, but I think it works, and yeah, Sean Bean is a great actor. I, I, I think he elevates movies. And, you know, when you put well-known actresses and actresses in these roles, it helps uh, make it feel like a, you know, a big thing. And I, I don't know if Sean Connery was a huge actor at this point, honestly, or not. But I don't think so. Me, I think he was... me in 2021, I, uh, he was big for me. <laughs> I don't think so. I think it was more just he was known as because he was Mr. Universe. So I don't think he was like, had, if he had any roles, they were probably very small. The Broccoli's don't really seem keen on casting like big stars. Like Daniel Craig wasn't really a big star when he was cast as Bond. That's why I don't think the next Bond is going to be an Idris Elba or anything that's like an A-list celebrity. Especially in an era where the movie star doesn't really sell the tickets anymore. It's the franchise. Why would you pay someone a bunch of money from the jump when they're not even really going to put butts in seats? Yeah, I'm really curious because, like, Pierce Brosnan mentioned when he got fired from the role at the end of his run, like, he was shocked because the movie's doing really well and making tons and tons of money. So he was like, oh, I thought we had a good thing going here, yeah. you know? <laughs> we, we were making money together. What happened? And uh, you mentioned that, like, the, the star isn't necessarily a draw anymore. And yeah. I mean, it still late, was later. kind of almost in that era. Like, 2005 was, I mean, 2005-ish was kind of the death, but I think the movies had just gotten so goofy they wanted to revert back and do a more Jason Bourne and they realized that they really couldn't and have it still be in like that same universe with like Pierce Brosnan and everything they're like we got yeah because they took a good a a good break after Brosnan so it was like a a good amount of like a a reconsidering 
It was it wasn't only long, a, long, but it, it was, was only, a few years. It was four years, more I think. Than, more than a couple. Because a lot of these, it's like, it's like with, with a year later, they're putting out a Bond movie, you know, so it, it was a pretty decent break. But yeah, uh, you mentioned it's, like a movie star, and I think he has movie star energy in GoldenEye, but also like throughout his whole run. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I mentioned him being like this sculpted look to him. I think he just has a really classical movie star look in a way that, yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because I was just thinking like that look is kind of, starting to slowly die out like we have chris evans and, and we have the rock and people say, who have like this as all-star energy but they're not like individually selling tickets really no i i would say also too i mean it's hard to tell with daniel craig i think he's probably going to have the best post bond career but i think pierce brosnan uh definitely had the oh, not counting craig because he's still in his bond career had the best post post bond career because sean connery was really only in like the last or the third Indiana Jones movie, and then he was like popped up here and there, but it was more of like a homage to his role as James Bond, where Roger Moore didn't do anything. Timothy Dalton like barely pops up anywhere. Um, George Lazenby yeah, basically did nothing after, <laughs> and uh, I think you know Pierce Brosnan still acts like he's gonna be Doctor Fate in. Uh, the Shazam 2 and I don't think it's really going to be like it's not an homage to him being Bond it's just like oh you're a good actor and you fit what we want to do like we're just gonna you know we want you yeah and he has a good range too like he doesn't just do action movies he's also with Mamma Mia like he has this romantic like hot guy kind of charisma even still is it at his age he looks really good and uh yeah definitely has had the best post Bond career especially Cinderella on Amazon Prime you know uh, it's a future Oscar winner there oh is he in that <laughs> he is. Uh, I, I didn't realize that I until said. I was looking right now at his uh, IMDb, and I was like, oh, I guess he was in that one. Uh, still also, haven't checked that one out yet. His favorite movie of mine will always be Mrs. Doubtfire, as the prick um, boyfriend of Sally Field. And I don't want to pass up Timothy Dalton yet. A shout out to, uh, he was really good in Doctor Who for a couple episodes. So he played a, a bad guy on there for a bit. Hey, don't, don't forget Looney Tunes back in action, all right? I want to say he's on Doom Patrol right now, too. He is, too. Yeah, Doom Patrol, Looney Tunes back in action. That's about it. Which is why... He's got a couple things here and there, you know, popping up. Yeah. All right. um, So we've done both of our fours, which were both golden. Now you ready for your number three? My number three. uh, We just mentioned Martin Campbell. So let's bring him up one more time. The director of GoldenEye is going to come up once again to talk about Casino Royale. <laughs> All right. I, yeah. That's that's a little higher on my list. I'll say that. Interesting. I love this one. Uh, I'm not necessarily like Bond. Daniel Craig's Bond doesn't necessarily work for me all that well. I think that's an unpopular opinion. But like, I think he, sometimes he takes himself a little bit well, too seriously. Well, then you're not going to like the rest of my list. <laughs> there's not enough like camp in... in it feels a bit more like the movie's taking itself slightly too seriously for what it is, but it's so like damn good that it like <laughs> I can't like fault it for that. It's it's a great origin story, and I think it really like establishes uh, Bond as young and early in his career, where he has sort of this he's he's raw and he's angry. And he's not like the calm and collected, always cool Bond that we come to know later, and I think we really get we get Bond kind of broken down to his bare basics. And I think it does feel kind of like a ripoff of the Boar movies in, in the way that the action is done. But like, 
people don't really go back and cite the Bourne trilogy as like great movies now. You know, people like them, but people still talk about Casino Royale as one of the great movies of that era and that time. So I think sure it ripped off its action, but when it does it in a way that's more impactful than the original thing, <laughs> I think it, it gets some credit for that. And awesome opening, awesome closing, good way to kind of like bookend this revival of Bond that I think is going to be going on for a while now. Uh, I don't want to say too much because uh, I'll, we'll, we'll get to it when I bring it up in my list. Because when I get to it, I want to talk about it. So uh, I'll say <laughs> I, I just it was out there for you. Really liked it. You know, it's a really, really good movie. Definitely of the Bonds that I will rewatch, it's one of the ones I will rewatch the most. Um, so I will do my number three. And speaking of the Daniel Craig Bonds. We will do his second Bond from 2008, Quantum of Solace. Uh, oh, Jesus. Not, 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 not high on my list, but you can go ahead and take take the floor, Joe. Well, I'm sorry your list isn't as good as mine. That's just how it is. Um, just a fun action movie. I really like the Bond girl. I like her story, and I like that she's just not there to be hot and uh, be like an object of Bond's affection. Like A lot of the story really revolves around her and her you know, life and she has agency, which is one of the things that, uh, makes me more interested in a bond girl than just like, Oh, she walks in front of bond and he's like, I would like to fuck her. And that's basically her entire purpose in the movie. Um, but yeah, you got Olga Kirilenko as, uh, Camille Montez. Uh, the only thing for me that I felt was really lacking was the villain where I would have liked a more, I don't want to say campy villain, but just a more over-the-top villain where it was just kind of this guy that was just like this shitty, uh, you know, person that was like a hardcore environmentalist to the point of an extreme. And also his name was Dominic Green, which I'm like, if you're going to make him an environmentalist with the last name Green, I feel like you kind of have to make him over-the-top, and they just made him like a guy. Um but yeah, they d- couldn't really get the rights to Spectre, so it's like, oh, this or- villain organization is Quantum, and it ties in directly with the last movie of Vesper, his, you know, the woman he loved, the Bond girl in the previous one, was wrapped up in this organization, and now he's, like, going into the organization that Green was a part of. And then you find out later that Quantum was just, or solid, whatever it is, I don't remember, was part of uh, Spectre. So, yeah, just a fun action movie. I know a lot of people are lower on it than me, but I really liked it. Yeah, it didn't necessarily work for me very well. Uh, I have it pretty low. I was scrolling down. I believe I have it down here at uh, 17 on my list. I Ooh, think... It, bad take. Daniel Craig's... Yeah, I, I mentioned that. I just don't buy into... I just don't necessarily connect with like Daniel Craig's really, really gritty take on Bond where there's like zero tongue-in-cheek and it's just like... <laughs> It's like I start to start to see like the the folds in it a bit, and start to like feel okay. This is like uh, kind of dumb that this is being taken so seriously. And I, I people harp harp on the editing of this as well. I think that definitely distracts. Well, from people it. are think, dumb, Tristan. People don't know shit. All right. This I think movie's the action good. sequence, the action sequences in Bond are such a important part of it. Like people go and watch the movies purely for the action sequences. Some people do and. To, to deliver such chopped up like Ooh, dance party, barely barely 
like J- Johnny, our co-host, will say, "Oh, this car chase is like the best car chase ever shot," and it's like, "Okay, maybe, but I'm not seeing it, so I don't like believe you." <laughs> you know, like you can tell me anything is good, but if it's cut up to the point where I'm barely comprehending what's happening, like it's not gonna. Hey, sometimes when you're work. filming an action movie, it takes Lee- Liam Neeson 43 cuts to hop over a fence. Okay, just you do what you gotta do. Like people will harp on that movie. Will harp on like the Resident Evil movies that have all this bombastic, distracting editing. And I think this is like on that level for me. At least it's some of the scenes. It's not as bad as, as those movies are like throughout. But this has moments I like. I like the idea of the connective storyline throughout Daniel Craig's story. Like having not necessarily going back to the beginning of all Bond, but being like, okay, our our one version of Bond has like this continuous through line that connects his couple movies together. I like the. I like that. That's one of the things I liked about it. And I haven't seen this one since it came out in the theater. So I, have, uh, I rewatched some scenes on it recently to like recap my mind. And I watched some uh, beginning of it. And I, I I may go back and watch it again. But yeah, I started to rewatch it. And I was just thinking like, you know what? I don't think I need to rewatch this. <laughs> it's not getting any better for me. Well, but, I don't know what to tell you. All right. Yeah, for me, it's pretty low. I know I, it's possibly an unpopular opinion to have it that low but it, it didn't really work for me very well alright alright what's your uh, number two well my number two uh, is a Craig movie that did work very well for me uh, shockingly well it was I believe the only Craig movie that I hadn't seen prior to this binge and it is Sam Mendes' Skyfall from 2012 alright fun fact that is also my number two so Good choice. Good good uh, ranking there, Joe. Okay, I, so you I said thought... the Craig movies didn't work for you. <laughs> I know what your number one is, but two of them are two and three. Look. So half of them are in your top three. You're right. When you say it like that, it does kind of look bad. But I almost feel like the movies are better than Craig is. And in, in, in a lot of the other Bond movies, like Sean Connery is better than the rest of the movie. And you're, you're watching because like Sean Connery is like performing his heart out in some of the – in like. I think Daniel Craig is like serviceable and I think this is his peak for sure. Th- he has two great ones and then the, the two that are just like pretty, lo- pretty uh, low on the list for me. So he's kind of split for me, but yeah, this one is really high up there. I think the action works way better in this than the previous one. And I mentioned that for much of what love has that train fight towards the end. And this has a, it's own big train fight and the action, you can actually see what's happening in the action scenes. You know, you can actually feel the flow of the action. You can feel the fear of Bond getting defeated by Batista because you can see what's happening. You can you can follow the flow of the uh, the uh, the action like beat for beat, and you're not just confused of who's winning and who's losing it each second. <laughs> you know, and I I think this is a great one with a great villain that is, uh, you know, you have the the very obvious quick hoarding of some characters previous in the franchise and at that point they're kind of made out to be jokes and it's not like a particularly positive positive portrayal of of gay people and i, I of course making the one gay guy the the villain of the movie is a bit of a choice but i think he works and it's not he's not giving like an over-the-top performance where you're like oh this is like a gay caricature he has the, the the coding there, and they have the little line of the of, of Craig there too. So I like that. I think it was fun to have that performance. It was a great action. Yeah, I, I think it's. I say I don't like Craig's portrayal as Bond, but I think he's in some good movies. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, there. I really like this movie a lot. It's definitely like a fun action movie. The opening fight on the 
a train where he then has to ask Money Penny to essentially like take a chance and like shoot him and the guy he's fighting. Uh, and then you know Craig, she acts, Money Penny shoots Craig and he falls off the train into the water. Um, one of the things I did like a, a lot about this movie is that M is essentially the Bond girl of this movie. Is she's the one that um, like the villain is after that he has to rescue, and I thought that was kind of an interesting take on it in like a different direction. Uh, and uh, some of, but the one weird detractors, I I just uh, I'm blanking on the actor's name. Um, uh, Javier Bardem outside of No Country for Old Men I just don't like him in movies I've learned for whatever reason like him in this movie I was just like I'm like I don't buy you as a former double O agent and that was kind of my big detractor I guess where it's like Alec Trevelyan I'm like oh I 100% buy you as like a former double O six but um Silva, I'm like, there's no chance you were a former double O like agent that worked for M. Like, I just, I don't believe this. I don't buy this. I, but I was able to look past it, and I loved everything else about the movie. I love the Home Alone kind of aspect of him having to arm his house for when Silva and his guys come. Uh, the main theory I'm a hundred percent bought into is that the role of King Cade, the Scottish groundskeeper at the Bond household was written for it to be Sean Connery, but I think Sean Connery was too advanced in his Alzheimer's or whatever he had at the time that his like family and he were like forced to uh, turn it down and not do it. But that would have been amazing if they had been able to like, if they had brought in Sean Connery to play Kincaid and they were able to keep that a secret and not tell anyone and not like put it in the trailer not say he's not, maybe he shows up to the premiere, but it's more like, Hey, he's here for the 50th anniversary. And then mm-hmm. that movie comes on and opening weekend, Sean Connery shows up yeah, and like, kicks ass. It's this old Scottish groundskeeper in the fifth, in the movie that comes out on the 50th anniversary of Dr. No. Yeah, that would have been awesome. Uh, it would have been, I, I think it's a missed opportunity to not have more bind connective tissue and have at least a couple uh, crossover cameos here and there. Yeah. Uh, I don't want like, oh, here's Sean Connery's Bond hanging out with Pierce Brosnan's Bond and like a Doctor Who style thing. But I would, I think it would be fun to have like Pierce Brosnan show up and as a bartender or something in Daniel Craig's movie. You know, anything yeah. like that could be cool. Yeah. yeah, I'd be down for that. All right, so that was our number two. So I guess that brings us to your one. Yeah, I'll start with my one because it's one that uh, got mentioned in the podcast previously uh for me we mentioned that i like a lot of these movies i think a lot of them are even really good to great you know i think certainly some of my uh movie movies to rewatch you know perfect movies to sit back and drink to or something like that and this one for me though is a genuine five out of five movie one that i i think is like gonna be in my favorites and it's goldfinger the third outing of bond and i think the the perfect uh balance of spycraft with humor with fun and genuine action and, and fun characters i think pussy galore is a, a really fun character that could just be a punchline of her name like oh let's make fun of the fact that that's her name and she's more than that she's very confident she's able to stand up toe-to-toe to bond and she's she has her own abilities her own strengths you know she has her whole entire flight school of women that she uh, has trained to fly for her and I like that the fact that we get a bonger who's a little bit more uh, powerful and, and assertive compared to the previous two. Who the first one was essentially like pure eye candy, and the second one is just kind of like a 
are yelling to over him. They're like falling over a lot in from Russia with love. And I think that you get some great characters in this. The villain, Goldfinger, of course, is very iconic. The big fat bold guy, you know, I think, I love when gold. I think of. Yeah, gold member, obviously, based on him, so. <laughs> yeah, when I think of Bond villains, even before I saw this franchise, like I would think of either him or Blofeld, the, the, the big Bond villain. But yeah, you have iconic scenes, iconic lines, and. The actor in real life is like a genuine he- human hero who rescued like a Jewish people during the Holocaust in Germany, and uh, he got he like conned his way into this role, and 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 through that conning was able to do his part in performing one of the best villains of of cinema history. I'd say yep. <laughs> I love this one. I think it is a genuinely perfect movie. And of course, there's things that haven't aged well that you would change if you were making this in 2021. But I think. For its time, it's like a five out of five. That there's, there's practically not a scene that I would change anything about. <laughs> yeah, I just didn't watch it in its time. I watched it in 2021, so a lot of the moments that just don't hold up, um, didn't make it. But obviously, it's still, you know, as far as I mean, it's low on my list of ten, but it's still as far <laughs> as the 24 Bond movies, it's still above the top half. So I did like it. I did enjoy it. It's just uh, some of the other ones that kind of copied that formula, I feel like did it better, like I said earlier, and that's why it was uh, lower on my list. But it's still a good movie. Uh, I I did like the villain, but yeah. Yeah, I'm curious uh, what year number one is going to be. Yeah, you you mentioned that this is low on your, Goldfinger was low on your list, but you still liked it, and I... Yeah, I wanted to mention, like, most of these are ones... There's only a couple, a few at the bottom that I would say I didn't like. I was surprised that I liked, like, pretty much all of these outside of a handful. So, yeah, even if it's at, like, my number 11, number 12, that's, like, still a good one, you know? Yeah, same. Uh, So my number one is one uh, we talked about earlier a little bit, and that was your number three, Casino Royale. Uh, I love the opening idea. I'll be honest, I haven't seen a single uh, Jason Bourne movie. Uh, It's just one of the ones that... um, slipped through the cracks for me for whatever reason i never checked it out never got around to it uh i was going to when they were going to release jason well, when they were were set to release jason Bourne, the fourth one and then everyone that saw it that was jason Bourne fan says the movie sucks so i'm like you know what i'm not gonna waste my time which is kind of like what happened with specter i was gonna go back and watch all of the uh daniel craig james bond movies before specter came out but then everyone said specter sucks so i'm like well i'm not gonna do that uh, but yeah, I like Casino Royale. I love the uh, parkour chase scene in the beginning. The black and white opening was great. The Bond vil- villain Vesper was great. And I just love the more uh, the battle between him and the villain uh, Le Chief was just a pure mental one of playing cards. I think maybe the card thing at the end could have played out better because it felt like it went really quick towards the end. Uh, but uh, I like that it was different and it wasn't so much like crappy punching each other like most of the other Bond movies. It was a, you know, battle battle of brains and it was more like, oh, I'm going to uh, make you lose this game so you lose other people's money and they come after you. I thought it was a fun aspect and then yeah, it was just really, uh, really fun, great action movie. Yeah, and I think especially as like the premiere of this new era of Bond and you could tell they weren't just bringing a new actor. They were like, okay, let's kind of redo this thing let's start from the bottom and make it fresh you know and Mm -hmm. this feels like a ground up restart they're not like one toe in the other thing kind of you know like i feel like most of the time when they're transitioning bonds prior to this it does feel like they're not quite out of one pool into the other yet you know there's 
a weird crossover tone where they're like, oh, is Timothy Dalton like a goofy Bond or is he like a serious Bond? I don't know. And Roger Moore has that towards the beginning of his role, his run. I think his first couple of movies, sometimes they're, they're struggling to figure out like, okay, what is this character's take on? Is it going to be more like this or more like that? And I think Daniel Craig from the from the launch, he, he figured out what he wanted the character to be and he was able to stick with that and do it well. And it wasn't exactly what I, my favorite version of the character, but I think he, he I'll give him props for not like getting confused of who the character was. He knew what he wanted to do from, from scene one and they did it really, really well. Yep. All right. Um, so that wraps up our 10. So it's time to do our combined 10. The first discussion I think we gotta have is what's higher, like what's what should be number one, a one and a three or two twos? Look, uh, real quick, I'm gonna read through my top ten to remind everyone what okay. I had, and right. then you can do the same thing, okay. and I think we can go from there. So my number ten is Moonraker. My number nine is Doctor No. My number eight is The Spy Who Loved Me. My number seven was From Russia With Love. My number six, where did I? My number six, license to kill. License to kill. Yep. <laughs> my number five was a view to a kill. My number four was Goldeneye. My number three was Casino Royale. My number two was Skyfall, and my number one was Goldfinger. Now, and my number ten was Goldfinger. My nine was You Only Live Twice. My eight was License to Kill. My seven was Living Daylights. My six was A View to a Kill. My five is Diamonds Are Forever. My four is Goldeneye. My three was Quantum of Solace. My two is Skyfall. And my number one is Casino Royale. So, yeah, so it's a I, curious. So what? what's higher? A two twos or a one and a three? And my, I, think a two, I think two twos makes it a nice balance, if you ask me. All right, we can do that. But, and then, so Skyfall, so Skyfall would then be number one and Casino Royale number two. I can take that. But then I think you put Goldeneye at four because you both had it at four. Do we put it at four or do we put it at three? Oh, you're right. We probably should put that at three. Two. So now we have Skyfall at one, Casino Royale at two, and Goldeneye at three. Can I make a pitch for... Goldfinger at four. Because I have it at I my number one. I think that's fair. I don't think you have to make much of a pitch for that. I think that's <laughs> fair. So now we're at Casino Royale Because at it one. was also my ten, so... That's true. It was on your list, so it gives, a, it gives me some credit, credit there. Yeah, so let me, let me cross off everything. So we have Skyfall, Goldfinger, Casino Royale, uh, Goldeneye... So your next highest is a view to a kill at five. I have it at six. So I have quantum at three, but you don't have. However, you have a view to a kill at five, and that's your next highest. So I also have it at six. So I think we should do a view to a kill at five. Let's do a view to a kill at five. We got our top five together, so then we can argue our way to the bottom somehow. You know, maybe get your quantum Alice in there somehow. I think it, I think quantum. Wait, you have license. Okay, now we got to start having conversations. <laughs> Should our six be License to Kill, which you have at six and I have at eight, or should it be Quantum that I just have at three? I think, hmm, 
I mean, either I think it doesn't really matter because I think it's going to be six and seven. I think. Yeah, because I'll be I'll be happy to go with you do kill, and then quantum. So do quantum at six and license to kill at seven. That hurts, but we can do it. <laughs> uh, I don't endorse that ranking, but you know he got my list to go for. If you want to get my ranking. Seven is Quantum of Solace. So now we got three spots left, Joe. And I have From Russia with Love, The Spy Who Loved Me, and Doctor No in those spots. So Quantum of Solace, License to Kill, License to Kill, crossed off. So your next highest is From Russia with Love at seven. My next highest is Diamonds Are Forever at five. Jesus. I, I think that means Diamonds Are Forever has to be at eight. You got Quantum of Solace, and you don't get two bad Bond movies in. I don't care. I'm how a five beats a seven. That's oh God! How, that's how the world works. Okay, hold on. What do I have that hasn't gotten in yet? I don't have anything, do I? I was trying to make a. Uh... All right. Well. So my so our next highest is we're both at seven, and I just got mine on. So from Russia with Love gets in at nine. And then I would say Living Daylights gets in at uh, 10. I like that. So well, both of our seven. So we both have seven up making the list. And then I also just have my eight and my 10 because it was do-overs. That works for me. So from Russia with Love. You got your two oddball choices on there. Classic Joe choices. And 10 is The Living Daylights. And I will read off the list. And no, we didn't copy this show from anyone else. This is our own imaginations that came up with the format and concept of this show. No, I don't other... know if you guys know this or not, but we we invented ranking things. Like yeah. We're the first people to ever be like, oh, let's just do like 10 of our things and then like rank them. Yeah, exactly. All right. So at number 10, we have The Living Daylights. At number nine, From Russia with Love. At eight, Diamonds Are Forever. At seven, Quantum of Solace. At six, License to Kill. At five, A View to a Kill. At four, Goldfinger. At three, Golden Eye. At two, Casino Royale. And our number one James Bond movie of all time, Skyfall. Skyfall. Our list. Yeah, the Adele classic song that they wrote a movie about you know (laughs) yeah i didn't really made the movie about that one uh all right so that kind of wraps up the end of the show tristan how do you feel about our list you know it was was stressful towards the end i was you got a couple of those on there where i was like oh boy joe got some low ones on there for me but yeah i think we we came to some common ground when we got to the top five i was nervous because i was like oh we have a pretty diverse list here we have a couple water one crossover maybe but i don't know how it's gonna go but it helped that our top five was Pretty a lot of crossover same, movies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I had a good one with this. Uh, I, I'm sure that Johnny and Bobby, the lifelong Bond fans of the show, would have a, a good time seeing where Vito Kill is on our list, uh, right in the top five there. Yeah, I just uh, took a picture of our list and sent it in our group chat, so I can't wait to get their reactions on it. Um, but yeah, uh, I co-signed most of this list. I think some of these ones don't deserve to be on here, like uh, From Russia with Love, for the most part. Um, like Diamonds Are Forever. And Diamonds Are Forever is a great movie. Uh, everyone should watch it. Um, 
But yeah, I think that uh, is the end of our show. Uh, we're going to continue Bond Week next week. Hopefully, we can get everyone to do a bracket. Uh, at this point, if we can get three of us on, I'm just going to be like, screw it. We're going to do the bracket and then uh, hopefully do uh, me versus Tristan in a Bond pitch-off with all four of us on. Fingers crossed. Uh, Bond, Look, Bond month has been really fun. I've really been enjoying it. You guys have seen Joe's takes on Bond movies, so I don't think I have a lot to deal with on this battle. I won't lie. Uh, I'm going in pretty confident. You know, after seeing this ranking, you know, I, I think I'm. I think I'm feeling pretty good. I'm not gonna have Diamonds Are Forever on my on my ranking. If you want to see boring garbage movies that no one cares about, watch the movies Tristan pitches. That's that's all I have to say. Um. If you want fun, exciting, campy, over-the-top movies, watch those type of movies I pitch. And if you're curious uh, why Tristan is wearing a Tristan is wearing a Disney shirt, specifically Monsters Inc., and I'm over here wearing a Star Wars shirt, um, in a few minutes here, uh, we're gonna end the stream and start a new stream. So if you're watching us live on Twitch, uh, join us here in maybe ten minutes, and we will be doing a live watch along of the first uh, episode of Star Wars Visions. It's just a 15-minute uh, animated short. If you're not sure what Star Wars Visions is, basically Disney allowed uh, various anime studios to do their own take on Star Wars, where they could kind of do any story they wanted to. It didn't really have to connect with anything else or tie into the larger canon at all. Just do their own thing. So we're going to watch the first one of that, do a live watch-along. And if you're watching this uh, later on on YouTube or you're listening to this in the podcast form, uh, head over to YouTube or Twitch or anywhere, and uh, you should be able to find our, our watch-along. It should be uh, already up, which is weird to say because we have yet to record it. Uh, I haven't watched it. Tristan hasn't watched it. Tristan, have you watched any of these Towers Visions episodes yet? No, I have not watched them yet, but I know our reaction is great because it's already up, you know. Guys, yeah. check it out. It's a great reaction. I will reaction. say, uh, right before we went on, I decided to check one out. I did watch uh, Tatooine Rhapsody. Uh, which is the one I cared the least about going into because it was about a rock band. There was a lot in there that I was really liked that episode. Uh, the song at the end that was supposed to be this great song, singing wasn't the best, but the story of the episode was a lot better and a lot different than I expected. So I'm very intrigued to watch uh, the first episode. The title is The Duel. And we shall, if you're watching on Twitch, we shall see you in a minute. And if you're watching this on YouTube or listening to us on podcast form, uh, without further ado, uh, good.